welcome to the sermon podcast for Ashburn Baptist Church, Chicago. We pray the message you are about to hear is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. Amen. Hey, it is a joy to be back with you this week. I miss you. I've been gone for the last couple weeks. I was out with COVID for like 16 days, down 17 pounds. If you need a good weight loss routine, let me know. Uh, John, thank you so much for covering last week. That was wonderful. Uh, It is a joy to be back. I really appreciated your prayers. I got so many texts and calls that I did not answer because I didn't want to talk to anybody, but I am super grateful for all of your prayers, all of your encouragement, all of your support, and it is an absolute joy to be with you here today. It's going to be an awesome Sunday. It's already been a great time of worship together. We've got a couple baptisms here in just a little bit, and I'm excited to jump into God's Word with you. If you have your Bible, we're going to be all the way back in the book of Numbers, chapter number 11, and we'll be there in just a little bit. Today, we're going to be talking about something called covetousness. Covetousness. Everybody look to your neighbor and say covetousness. That was horrible. Let's do it again. Everybody look to your neighbor and say covetousness. That was better. What is covetousness? Well, it's the rejection of God's sufficiency. Covetousness is the rejection of God's sufficiency. Three weeks ago, we talked about the Sahara The Mojave, the Gobi, the very names of these deserts almost make our mouths dry as we think about the intense heat of the brutal sun. As we imagine the sand dunes that never end, the waves of sand, the mirages, the pictures that leave us empty-handed. Welcome to the wilderness. And I would imagine that if we were to take a poll that very few of us, if any of us, would want to live in a place like that We have no interest maybe even visiting physically, but spiritually, I believe that a lot of us are living here in the wilderness. We feel dry and parched and lifeless spiritually. We come to church whenever we can, but even when we come, we fail to make the connection of how it relates to us. We struggle to find the energy to wake up and pray. We struggle to find the time to spend time reading God's word. We feel lifeless spiritually, and we're failing to make the connection of how we arrived in the wilderness. We're not really sure how we got here. Well, I want to tell you straight up, you're here because of your attitude. You're here because of your mood, because God sees every attitude that we have. Every complaint, every grumble, every criticism, he sees it all. And we might be tempted to think that our attitude had very little to do with our arrival in the wilderness. But I believe that God has been trying to send us a message in his Bible. He's been trying to use his people and stories of his people when they were trapped in a land called Egypt. And then God rescued them out and led them into a place that would be the promised land. But they never entered in it because of their attitudes. Today, I want to take a look at an attitude. I want to look at the attitude of contentment and its enemy, the attitude of covetousness. Covetousness is the rejection of God's sufficiency. And when we reject God's sufficiency, we're going to miss out on a blessing of God. I'm a bit of a foodie. So coming out of Thanksgiving, I'm pretty excited because I had a couple really good meals. Did anybody else really enjoy some food over the Thanksgiving holiday? Man, I can even find joy and happiness thinking back about some of those foods, that creamy macaroni and cheese. 
I can think back about the sweet honey ham that I had because it's so much better than turkey. Turkey's trash. Ham is delicious. Mashed potatoes with gravy. Sweet potato casserole with delicious oats all over the top of it. Like, like I can find happiness even thinking about the food that I had on Thursday and Friday and even last night as leftovers. I, I think back to a place that Karen and I went to called the Pecan Lodge where you could take a spoon and you could cut brisket and it was the most delicious, incredible brisket I've ever had in my entire life. I can think back to another place that we went to called the Fatted Calf where the waitress brought me some waffles and some chicken that was out of this world and I can find joy even thinking about that. Maybe you can imagine with me, or maybe you've seen the video on YouTube of the pizza pot pie on the north side. Anybody ever seen that before? I've never had it, but I long for the day that that delicious pizza pot pie touches my lips. Man, I can find joy in food, but have you ever gone to the fridge, not really hungry, but not really satisfied either? Like you go and you open up the door and you look at all of these options in both the freezer and the fridge and the cupboard, but none of them are what you want. Like you want something, you're not even really sure what you want, and you're staring at a ton of options, but none of them are speaking to you. You know, unfortunately, I think that's how a lot of us live our lives on the daily. We go to the door of our life not really in need of anything, but not really satisfied either. We want something. We want more of something, but we're not even really sure what we want more of. I think this is a glimpse into the life of somebody who struggles with the attitude of covetousness. A covetous attitude. Living a life of covetousness can be difficult to spot because I think it's so common in our culture. It's so common that we almost miss it. And so as we jump into this study today, I want to first define covetousness. Let's take a look at the definition of covetousness. There's actually four parts. The first definition of covetousness is very simple. It's wanting wrong things. To have a covetous attitude is to want wrong things. And sometimes it's really easy to recognize wanting wrong things. We want to sin sometimes. We want to look at the wrong thing, listen to the wrong thing, watch the wrong thing. Sometimes we want power with no reason. Sometimes we want control so that we can be the center of attention. Sometimes we want wealth just so we can become more wealthy. Sometimes we want praise from other people just for that affirmation feeling that we get. Wanting wrong things. I think that's pretty easy to understand. The second part of this definition is important where it gets a little more complex. A covetous attitude is also wanting right things for the wrong reason. Wanting a right thing for the wrong reason. For instance, in the Bible, it says that he that wants the desire, or he who desires the office of a bishop, of a pastor, desires a good thing. Somebody who wants to be in a position of spiritual leadership and authority, that's a good thing. But if the reason I want to be a pastor is for a paycheck, or if the reason I want to be a pastor is so I can be the attention of the spiritual lives of a lot of people, that's the wrong reason. And maybe you want a raise in your life, a promotion in your job, but the reason why you want the raise is so that you can keep up with the Jones down the street. 
That's the right thing for a wrong reason. Maybe you want more authority. Maybe you want more opportunity in your life, leadership in your life. But the only reason why you want it isn't so God can use you in those areas. It's just so you have more attention. That's the right thing for a wrong reason. Covetousness is wanting wrong things. It's wanting right things for the wrong reason. It can also be wanting right things at the wrong time. (laughs) Wanting a right thing at the wrong time. Like maybe you can think back to being a senior in high school. Senioritis gets you, and you're thinking, maybe I should just drop out. Maybe I should just go get a job right now. Maybe I should just see if I can skip forward and go to college. Wanting those things is good. Those are good things, but it's the wrong timing. Like wanting to start a family, that's a good thing. But not being married yet, that's the wrong timing. Like wanting a promotion that you have no experience or position to fill. That's wanting a right thing, it's just the wrong time. It's covetousness. As we look at the definitions of covetousness, it's wanting wrong things. Wanting right things for the wrong reason. Wanting right things at the wrong time. And how about this one? Wanting right things, but the wrong amount. Right things, wrong amount. Like money. Not a bad thing. But when I want more than I need, it can become a bad thing. It's covetousness. Like things, having so much. But on Thursday at Thanksgiving, we get those papers in the, new, in the mail and we're looking through for things that we don't have in all of the ads so that we can have more things that we don't need. Like shoes, I love shoes, not a bad thing. But when I want more than I need, it's covetousness. And now that we've defined it, I want to discover it in the lives of the children of Israel. If you have your Bible, open them up to Numbers chapter number 11, where we find the children of Israel, God's chosen people, under attack from gratitude's enemy. Check it out in verse 4 and 5. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. That's a good way to describe covetousness. A strong craving. The people of Israel also wept again, and I like to read this with the way I would imagine they said it. Oh, that we would have meat to eat. Oh, we remember the fish. The fish that we ate in Egypt that cost us nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. And now there's nothing but this manna to look at. See, God had provided them something called manna. He was literally providing every single need of hunger that they had with bread from heaven, with manna from heaven. And they were sick and tired of eating manna every single day. They walked to the fridge. They had plenty to eat. It was given to them by God, but they didn't want it. And so they yielded their minds to something that they did not have. They began to covet. Man, I want the fish. I want the cucumbers. I want the melons. I want the leeks. And they began to have the sinful attitude of covetousness. Do you want to know when your covetousness becomes sin? It's when you yield to thinking about the things that you do not have. It's when you pause and take time to think about the things that you wish you had that you just don't have. 
Satan begins to throw things into our mind, different scenarios that would make life easier or more pleasant or, or, or more fruitful, where we have more control and fame and money and power. And the moment that we yield, that we pause to think about the things that we don't have, man, we've sinned. And we fall into the attitude of covetousness. We covet a better look, tighter body, prettier physique, prettier face. We covet a, a better job with more money, better hours, and better fit benefits. We covet a better family with more understanding parents and more patient spouses. We cover a better life if we only had it as easy as they did. Man, as I look back in my own life, I can recognize a lot of times where I had a covetous attitude. Like I grew up in a very strict home, like so strict that I had a 9 p.m. curfew and maybe you had parents that were similar. And I remember going over to my friend's houses or going to hang out with a group of friends and I had to be home at 9 p.m. And I remember thinking, man, I wish I had their parents so I could be out till I was until 11. I mean, I'm 17 years old 9 p.m., that's crazy. I remember looking at other siblings and thinking, I wish I had that brother, I wish I had that sister, I wish I had that life, I wish I had that kind of mindset, I wish I had that physical ability, I wish I had that opportunity. And it didn't just stay with me in my younger years, it followed me into my adulthood too. As just a few years ago, I found myself in a position that I didn't want to be in, doing something that I wasn't as passionate about as I used to be, and I remember looking at my life thinking, I wish things were different. Wish I had a different job. I wish I had a different opportunity. I wish I had different people around me. I wish things were different. And now I look back at those years and I recognize that that attitude was a sinful attitude. It was an attitude of covetousness. Whether I was wanting the right thing or wanting the wrong thing, it did not matter. The timing was not God's. And perhaps you're here today. You're looking at an area of your life that's just not quite right. An attitude where you're coveting, wanting a wrong thing or wanting a right thing at the wrong time or in the wrong amount. Then there's one more thing about a covetous attitude that you need to see. You need to see the destruction of it. The children of Israel were sick and tired of manna. We want meat. So God sends them meat to eat. He sends them quail. So much quail that whoever wants it could go get it. And whoever went and got it got as many as 30 bushels of it. And then they began to feast. They began to eat. And here's what happens in Numbers 11 and verse 33. <clears throat> While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people because of their covetousness. And the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague Therefore, the name of that place shall be called Kibrath Hatava, because there they buried the people who had the craving. God sees the attitude of covetousness, and anger begins to build up in him, a righteous anger, because of a sinful attitude, and he sends a punishment for sins. And by the way, anytime we sin, we always find punishment to follow. They wanted meat more than anything, and what they wanted more than anything ended up being the very thing that killed them. They missed out on God's blessing because they were covetous. They, they didn't focus on what they had. 
They focused on what they didn't have. Coming out of Thanksgiving that we just celebrated a few days ago, I was able to think back to some Thanksgivings that I've experienced. A lot of times we went out of town and we had Thanksgiving with extended family and relatives. One of those years we went to my Aunt Glenda's house, my great aunt's house. She lived in the Washington, D.C. area. We went to Thanksgiving at her house and my mom said, hey, whatever you put on your plate, you got to eat. Anybody else have a parent like that? Whatever you put on your plate, you got to eat. She said, try a little bit of everything. So I looked down the line and I saw something that made me very happy, macaroni and cheese. Man, this thing looked delicious. I couldn't wait to get it. But my mom said, put a little bit of everything on your plate. My mom gave me some other advice. She said, hey, maybe wait and eat your favorite things at the end. Get all the other stuff out of the way so that you can really enjoy your favorite at the end. And I was a little kid at the time. I saw green beans and green beans are disgusting. But I had to put some on my plate. And I put all the other greens on my plate too. And I started working around my plate, one food group at a time, because that's the only way you should eat your food. And I circled all the way around. And all I had left was the macaroni and cheese. But I was too full to eat it. Man, my mom gave me some bad advice that day. Bad advice. But I think that's what we do with our life a lot of times. We get dissed out a lot of things. Some things we like, some things we don't like. And yet we spend so much of our time and our attention on the things that we don't like, like green beans, that we miss out on God's blessing that he's already given us. The whole time we're focusing on the negative. The whole time we're thinking about the frustrations. The whole time we're focused in on just chowing down on things that we don't like about our lives. And the whole time God's got a blessing on our plate that we're not giving any attention to. See, that brings us to the other attitude that I believe that God wants every Christian to have. It's called an attitude of contentment. Contentment. What is contentment? Well, if covetousness is to be dissatisfied with God, contentment is to be satisfied with God. And everything that God does for us. Look at this verse in 1 Timothy in chapter 6 and verse 6. It says this, but godliness and contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some people have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many things. And I love how that passage started. It said that, hey, godliness and contentment have great gain. They're like partners. Salt and pepper, peanut butter and jelly, godliness and contentment, they go together. And so what does it mean to be content? Well, it means to be godly. And if you want to be content in your life, if you want to be godly in your life, it means a couple things. First of all, it means to be satisfied with who I am. Satisfied with who I am. Man, could our world use some of that today. To understand that God has created us on purpose, for purpose. That is to say that he created you to be like you, to look like you, to act like you, to talk like you, to walk like you, to think like you, to laugh like you. He created you on purpose and he loves his creation. He created the whole world in six days and 
At the end of everything he created, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he created man. Woman, he says, it's very good. But it's not good, they should be alone. See, God sees you and he's satisfied with how he created you. Yet we chose to sin. And we have chosen to sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned. We all fall short of the perfections, glory of God. And yet God still loves us so much. Even despite our failures and all of our wrongdoings, he saw so much value in me and you that he chose to die for us. Man, if you can't find value in the reality that God left heaven to die for you, you won't find value in anything. God sees you and desires to live eternally with you. Be satisfied with who you are. He created you on purpose. And also, be satisfied with what you have. Contentment is to be satisfied with what I have. To look at my life and understand that God has given me enough. He's given me breath in my lungs. He's given me people to love and people who love me. He's given me a place to sleep. He's given me food to eat. He's given me clothes to wear, but most importantly, He's given me the gift of heaven. And I want you to know that God is offering you that same gift today. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, Jesus, who died for the sins of all mankind and rose again three days later from the dead, so that whoever believes in the power of God will be saved. It says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I can't think of anything other than that to be more content. God loves me so much that he died for me so that I don't have to spend eternity without him in hell, but I can spend eternity with him in heaven. I'm content with that. Contentment is satisfaction with God, knowing he's enough. Years ago, Russell Cornwell told of an ancient Persian named Ali Hafed. He owned a very large field and farms filled with orchards and grain fields and gardens. And he was a very wealthy, content man. One day there was a wise man who came from the east who told about all of these diamond and these diamond fields and how wealthy he would be if he owned a diamond mine. And Ali went to bed that night a poor man because he was discontent with what he did have. He craved a minefield. He wanted more wealth than anyone else in all the world, and he became so poor and broken in his spirit that he sold everything he had in pursuit of that. He traveled the world and never found it. So frustrated with everything that he'd given up, he actually committed suicide. There was another man who purchased Ali's farm. He was one day leading his camel down to, from his garden to drink and as his camel put the, no, his nose into the brook he noticed a sparkle in the sand <laughs> that man reached down he pulled out a gem that had every color of the rainbow in it he had discovered the diamond mine of Golconda it's the most magnificent mine in all of history it was in his own backyard and had Ali not 
had traveled the world in search of something that he didn't have. If he had just gone out his back door and down to his stream, he would have found that everything he had was everything he needed. Everything he wanted, he already had. You know, many of us are living our life wanting someone else's life, wanting more, and yet from God's word, we learn that happiness is found right where we are. It's contentment content with what we have, content with who we have, content with what God has given us, love and acceptance. During this series, it's been my desire that those of us who God has been working in our hearts through the word and through the message kind of end on the same spirit of prayer. And so if you're here today, God has pointed out an area of your life that's been covetous or he's pointed out an area of your life that needs to be more content, then I want to invite you to pray this with me as we bow our heads and close our eyes pray with me God thank you again for your word for the truth of your word God I've learned through experience that your word alone is not enough I must act on it for it to be effective it's doing your word that bring, brings results. So God, don't allow me to be fooled. Fooled into thinking that my learning is enough. Let me be changed by what I do with what I've learned. So this week, let my life be a place of contentment. Because with you, I do have enough. I have your promises. I have your faithfulness. I have your strength. I have your wisdom. I have your forgiveness. I have your love. God, please forgive me for thinking that happiness comes from the outside. Help me understand that godliness with contentment is great gain. All of this, I pray in Jesus' name, who's the ultimate example of contentment. Allow me to live like him. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any prayer requests or questions about your spiritual life, we would love to pray for you. Or if you would just like more information about visiting us in person, please email us at chicago at ashburnbaptist.com or visit our website ashburnbaptist.com slash chicago.